This morning, as we conclude our study in the book of Ephesians, I think it's important that we remember why we did this study to begin with. As a brand new church getting started, it's important to review the question we looked at, why study Ephesians? And here were some of the things we talked about back in October. First of all, it magnifies or draws attention to the importance of the church. Sometimes people make much, in fact, to the exclusion of all else, they would say, well, it's our local church. And then there are others who say, well, I'm part of Christ's body, I'm saved, I'm part of the church, I'm part of the bride of Christ, and I don't think it's that important that I be a part of a local body. And what's interesting is, is that the book of Ephesians places this balance of keeping us in the middle of the road and making us realize we as a local church are biblical and the church universal is biblical. We are, we are part of a greater body and it's easy sometimes to begin to lose sight of one or the other. You know, God's plan has always been to have a church. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't where God said, oh, Israel blew it. I guess I'm going to have to go to plan B. And plan B, I guess, will have to be a group of Gentiles. Therefore, Israel's out, the church is in. The church has never been plan B. Nor is Israel out. When we, we are dispensational as a church, and what that means is we believe God has worked in multiple ways through the years, always having in his plan what's taking place, and we believe as we literally read the scriptures, God is going to rapture out his church, and he is going to use Israel yet again. Ephesians teaches us that God has eternal plans for the church. What we are a part of is important for eternity. We can't overlook the local church. Ephesians reminds us of the amazing grace of God. His divine enablement for all that we need. God didn't assign us a task and say, well, go out and get your own straw. Go out and you got to figure out what you're going to do for, for serving me. He has not only called us, he has equipped us, and he has given us all that we need. It answers questions about church life. First of all, why do we worship? In chapter 1, for what should we be praying? We learned that in chapter 1. What is so amazing about grace in chapter 2? Who are we in chapter 2? Why is the church a big deal in chapter 3? Then the end of chapter 3, he gives us more of what we should be praying for. In chapter 4, we dealt with this issue, and that is how can we be unified? We see a lot of disagreement among churches. What does chapter 4 teach us? Then he took what we've learned in chapters 1 through 3 and he began teaching us 
How do new people live? How do Christians live? In chapter 5, he talks about how do we imitate God. That's such an amazing chapter that we as believers get a chance to be the image of God before the world, before our families. How should we parent? What is God's plan for marriage? How should we see our vocation? How do you handle living in a world that has supernatural forces that are constantly at work trying to defeat what God is doing? Do you see how this is literally a handbook for the church? It teaches us how to live and what the church should look like, just like 1 Timothy tells you how to operate a church. 1 Timothy is the handbook for how a church should function. Ephesians describes for us what God's given us. When you become a Christian, you belong to God, and you become a part of the body with brothers and sisters in Christ. Back in October, I quoted uh, Steve Timmis. It is not that I belong to God and then make a decision to join a church. My being in Christ means being in Christ with others who are in Christ. This is my identity. This is our identity. If the church is not the body of Christ, then we should not, uh, then we should not live as disembodied Christians. Ephesians has been a good friend. I chose this because it is foundational to everything we do as a church for what we believe. As we write our Constitution, it's these doctrines that guide us to say, here's what we are. Let's pray together and let's finish these last few verses together. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege of meeting together as a group of believers. I'm thankful that you've made us the way we are. We sing praises to you, but how much more fun it is when we sing praises to you as a group. Lord, I thank you, even as I was reminded with the trio this morning of the violin and the cello and the piano, and we think about how together it was such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then I think about what the body of Christ is together. What a beautiful thing it is. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us through your word today. I pray that we would really lock in on the blessing of relationships this morning. I need your help as I preach. I ask that I would clearly present your word. I pray for the churches across America today that your word would go forth clearly. Thanking you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 21, reading again what Kevin read for us. But that ye also may know my affairs, how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith 
from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. This morning, I want to look at two different things. First of all, I want to look at the blessing of your relationship with others. And then I would like for us to look at the blessing of your relationship with God as we finish these last two verses. First of all, the importance of everyone in the body. You know, there has always been people that are going to be more visible and others that are less visible in the church. It doesn't change their importance. It's just visibility. Maybe you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where some people were focused on the visible people, i.e. the ones that happened to be teaching or up in front as if they were really the most important person. And Paul says, some of you are saying, well, I'm for Peter. I'm for Paul. I'm for Apollos. And others said, oh, but we're for Jesus Christ. And we would at first say, well, yeah, that's what we are, except for the fact it was a divisive way they were doing it, trying to say, yeah, well, we're not a part of you. We're better than you. And what I want you to notice as we look at this interesting section, maybe you haven't spent a lot of time with Tychicus, or maybe you have. But Tychicus, we find from Paul's statement here, was a beloved brother and faithful minister. Yet you don't read about Tychicus in 1 Corinthians where someone said, oh yeah, well I'm for Tychicus. And everyone's going, Tychicus? Who's Tychicus? Notice with me, it has always been about Christ and the body. It's always about Christ and the body. Now, there's always going to be people who are going to be more visible, but that doesn't make them more important. It's the body. You know, you don't really see my feet this morning for what's going on with my feet. You see that they enable me to do things. But I'm so thankful for my feet today. They make this presentation a whole lot easier. Could I do it without feet? Sure. But it wouldn't be as easy. Could I do the presentation without hands? Absolutely. Could I do the presentation without my heart? No, probably not. But you don't see my heart, but you see what's happening. And in a body, it's that same way. You know, right now, you don't see the people that are helping in children's church. but the only thing you hear right now is the air conditioner. Because, you know, for the littlest of our people, it's very hard for them to sit through this because either I have to focus it at children's age or I have to focus it for those who are more mature. Third graders, they can understand what's going on. A three-year-old, a four-year-old, they don't get what I'm saying at all, but you know what they're doing in children's church this morning is they're teaching them at their level about Jesus today. Just as important as what I'm doing. Just as valuable. You know, we have a need for some nursery workers. I know of many churches who wish they had children that they needed a nursery for. But to do that, it takes someone who could say, I could help with that. Could I be part of a rotation to help with that? 
you know, that's all part of a new church. We're figuring out what can we do to minister to the families God has given to us and to minister to families that will be coming to us. The relationship in the church is an amazing thing. It's a wonderful relationship. Everybody has an important part in the body. And it's important that each of us have a ministry in the body. Maybe you've come from a point where you say, I'm just worn out. I just need a break. Okay, take a break. But how long a break do you need? Six months? A year? Two years? Now, don't go back into a situation to where you hurt yourself. But the body is a blessing when you get a chance to serve. What are some ministries in the church? Discipleship, encouragement. You know, I'm grateful for people who are thoughtful and send cards and notes. That's a very unique ministry. Of someone who calls someone and just says, hey, I missed you today, are you doing okay? Not to put them on a guilt trip because they weren't here, but because they may have a need and the body wouldn't know to help them. Even group worship, you know how important it is to have the group to worship? Sometimes you'd say, well, no one would notice if I were gone. That's not true. That's not true. And then outreach. Now, when I say outreach, I don't know what crosses your mind. You may think I'm talking about knocking on doors. Well, maybe. But you know, a lot of times outreach is just the opportunity to display the love of Jesus Christ to someone who's outside this body. Because if I can, you know, the thing that always comes to my mind, remember the four men that brought the, the, the man that couldn't walk on the cot and they, and they got him? How many of those four men could heal that guy? Well, none of them could. But what were they convinced of? If I can just get him to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. You know, that, that's what I've become convinced of. If I can just get someone to Jesus... I know Jesus can take care of it. And so for you, you may say, oh, I can't heal someone. I can't. That's okay. I can't either. Just get them to Jesus. Do what you can. You see, the body is so important. All of us, as we work together, if we're really going to be able to reach this community, this local body is really important. So he talks about Tychicus, my beloved and faith, my beloved brother and faithful minister. Tychicus is only mentioned five times in the New Testament. The first time we read about Tychicus is when Paul is on his third missionary journey, and he is going back to Jerusalem. You remember how he was collecting this offering as he was going? Tychicus was one of those. Tychicus was an Asian believer who probably got saved in Ephesus. We don't know that for certain. That's a guess. We know that Tychicus was known very well in the city of Colossae, because Tychicus was not only carrying this Ephesian letter, and it's interesting, you know, he talks about, he says, I've written this to you also, because Tychicus was also carrying a letter to Colossae, and he was carrying a letter to a guy named Philemon. And as he was carrying this letter to Philemon, there was a guy that was with Tychicus, and his name was Onesimus. Onesimus was such a faithful man as well, but you remember Onesimus had to go back 
to Philemon, and they had to get this worked out because Philemon was a slave. Uh, Onesimus was a slave to Philemon. And so here we have this man. He was one of the company of friends with Paul on his third missionary journey. Some of you have done things on a missions trip or maybe in being in the church. Some of you especially, we noticed it as soon as we came. Some of you that have helped begin this group and had a vision for a church and had a vision for what God was going to do, you all are very close. Why? Because you have labored together. Paul and Tychicus became very close. Why? Well, they were traveling all the way back to Jerusalem with this money. And as they're going through all these adventures, probably funny things happen. Sometimes sad things happen. But it forged their friendships together. On the second and third times that he's mentioned in the scripture... It was with Paul in Rome during his first imprisonment. Maybe not such a fun time together, would you think? Tychicus delivered the letter to the Ephesians, to the Colossians. But we also read Tychicus was a trusted friend. And that's the unique thing in ministry in a church body, when we begin to recognize that person's not perfect, this person's not perfect, if we hold them to a standard of perfection, we'll always be disappointed with people. People are people. And once we learn that, it's okay then. Yeah, all right. Had a problem. It's okay. Because I can trust him. So we have Paul, notice um, the epistles to Titus and to Timothy reveal that Tychicus was again with Paul. And Paul said to Titus first, he said, I trust to have you come and meet me at Nicopolis. So I'm sending one of two men, one of which he mentions is Tychicus. He'll come and he'll oversee the growth of the church to help them so that Titus can come see me because Paul realized his days were numbered. You know, it's kind of sad when you think about, this is my last time to see so-and-so. You may not see them again. And you realize how precious they are to you. Here, Paul says, I love the church. And you know, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where Paul ever leaves a church without a pastor. I don't ever see that in Scripture. Maybe you know of a text. Every church has a shepherd because, what does Ephesians say? It's a, it's a gift from God to help the church develop. It doesn't elevate the pastor to this high position and everyone else is under him. It's just the role God gives him to protect the body to teach the body, to lead the body, to feed the body. With all that in mind, we see that Paul was going to send Tychicus to Crete to change places with Titus, but then also notice in 1 Timothy what happens there. What does he say? Paul, at 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, I want to see you one more time. 
You're my son. I love you. But Timothy was pastoring the church of Ephesus at that point. And Paul says, I'm going to send Tychicus so that he can take your place and you can come see me one last time. Only five times this man named Tychicus is mentioned. But how precious do you think, after hearing this, how precious do you think Tychicus was to Paul? We know Paul. Probably don't know Tychicus very well. Only five mentions in the Bible. But I would submit to you, Tychicus was just as precious to the body as Paul was. They had different roles. And I've mentioned this this morning because, you know, not everyone is going to be as well known as others, but it doesn't change their value. The truth is to let God use you in whatever capacity God chooses to use you. You know, that's why, please understand, and, and I have to be careful because you may misinterpret what I'm saying. You are not assets to be used. You are part of the body, which is necessary. Maybe you would feel like, well, he just sees an asset, so he's going to use that asset and use it up, and then you get another asset. But the reality is, you don't use up a body. The body works together. And if we as a church are ever going to be able to do what God has appointed for us to do as a body here in Fargo, it's going to mean each of us work together. And we're important. And we do that which God has gifted us and placed before us. These were not the most pleasant of times to be with Paul. You know, when, when you're with the the high-flying evangelist, or you're with the high-flying pastor that everyone knows and everyone looks up to, well, it kind of feels good to be with that kind of a person. How about if you're the one, oh, you're, you're with the guy that's in jail? You're the, you're the one that's with the guy that is under house arrest? You're the one that has caused such, you're the one that's with the guy that's caused such a stir? And I envision Mr. Tychicus sweet attitude, somewhat of a quiet disposition. I could be wrong, but it's pretty hard. Paul's a force to be reckoned with, and here he is with Paul. And as he closes this book of Ephesians, I believe he's reminding us of the blessing of relationships in ministry. Each one of us are important to the body. If you elevate my position to the exclusion of the other positions, what happens? The body doesn't function well. It's just weird to see a head, a mouth, creepy. But it looks okay with the whole body, doesn't it? Let me encourage you. You are important because you are a part of the body. You say, well, I don't know if I've locked in or not. 
You know, the point is, is that you're part of Christ's body and you're part of the local expression of that universal body here in Fargo. Notice the last two verses with me. The blessings of your relationship with God, verses 23 and 24. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Notice he begins with peace. Fascinatingly, if we were to go to the first part of the book, he begins with grace. At the end of the book, he ends with grace being the last thing that he mentions. So let's start with the word peace here because that's what he does. Paul's prayer and reminder is that they are at peace. You know, as you walk out today, the thing that I want you to remember and the thing that I want to encourage you with is because of Jesus Christ, you are at peace with God. I don't want you walking out feeling this, well, maybe I'm saved, maybe I'm not saved, maybe I'm saved, maybe I'm not saved. You can know that you are saved. You can know that you are saved. And it wasn't just Paul that taught this doctrine. You remember in 1 John, where, Peter sa- where, where, where John says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and this life is in his Son. If you have the Son, you have eternal life. If you have lots of good works, if you have lots of important things that have been said about you, but you do not have the Son, what do we know? You do not have eternal life. See how simple that is? If you have Christ, you have life. Because what are we learning? He was the eternal life. He is the eternal life. So as we look at this, he says, he wants to remind you, he says, peace be to the brethren. Satan today doesn't want you to have peace. Satan doesn't want you to remember that you are at peace with God. Remember the the shoes, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? You can have peace with God. You can know you have peace with God. And therefore, you don't have to constantly be worrying about... Am I saved or not? To no longer be at war with God. You can have peace. You can no longer be at war with yourself. You can no longer be at war with others. You know, this is, it's, it's a hard thing. And it takes the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit to make sure that the world understands there is a universal church and being kind and loving to God's people who maybe are not exactly the way we are. You know, I still have to do what the Holy Spirit leads me to do, but can't I be kind to other Christians? Can't we be kind to other Christians? Hopefully the answer that you would say would be that same answer. Well, yes, we can. We may not be able to work as well together because we see things differently in the scriptures. But the one thing we know for certain is salvation is by faith, through grace, alone. We were dead. We are now alive. And Jesus Christ has made us one. Peace with others. Because Christ is our peace. It's not based on our works. Peace will be important as we constantly come back to what the church should be like.
Second, he says, peace, what other blessing is your relationship with God? Love with faith. Genuine love finds its source in God. You say, how can I love someone I don't know very well? How can I love someone who's different? They have different interests than I have. And yet God's brought us together as a body. It is my faith in God that allows me to love. It is knowing my Heavenly Father that allows me to love. And then we come to the last one. He says, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. At the beginning of the book, grace appears first, and at the end of the book, it appears last because we need grace to have these other things. There's nothing I have this morning that makes me better than you. God's placed me in this position, and it's totally by His grace. God gives us the different people doing the different things, and He enables by His grace. Grace is God's enablement. God's enablement, God's power, God's supernaturally doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. Grace in salvation. I can't save myself. You can't save yourself. It is not by works of righteousness which any one of us have done, but it's according to God's mercy and God's grace that we are saved. But we also have grace for daily living. We were dead in sin, but now we are alive in Christ. We were separated from Christ, but now in Christ we have been brought near. We were foreigners, but now we are fellow citizens. We were darkened in our understanding, but now we have learned about the Messiah. We have put off the old self, according to chapter 4, and we have put on the new self. How can I put on the new self? How can I live this life where he says, wherefore, put aside all these things and put on these things? How can I do that? It's only by God's grace today. It's accepting what God, God's enablement in your life. You're struggling with maybe a habit. You're struggling with an action. You're struggling with thoughts. You're struggling with how can we ever get victory over that? God's grace. It's you being willing to accept, I can't do it on my own, but God will enable me to do that. And when by faith you act on that, you will see victory in your life. Paul closes with a very interesting admonition when he says, Grace be to all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the last time we read about the Ephesian church is in Revelation chapter 2. Do you remember what the angel, what, what Jesus Christ revealed to the angel of the church of Ephesus, to the pastor of the church of Ephesus? What did he say was the problem? said, you've done this really well, and you're doing this really well, and you're doing this really well, but you have left your first love. When church becomes a duty and isn't a relationship, and we do it because we just love to be with God and we want to please Him, we find 
we aren't accessing that enablement that we need to have. You know, being reminded of all these doctrines, of all the things that God taught us in chapters 1 through and 3, reminds us today, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ears. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Already we have seen God use people that love Jesus in this body. Some of them are here. Some of them are not here anymore. Think about Ephesus with me for a moment. Do you know Priscilla and Aquila were in Ephesus? Wouldn't it be cool to have a, dis a, a discipleship couple that were so locked on discipleship that they could bring in Apollos and they could sit down and talk with him and help him get his doctrine so that, because it wasn't going to be Priscilla and Aquila that were going to be the big teachers. It was going to be Apollos. But it was a Priscilla and Aquila that helped Apollos. There was Apollos in Ephesus. There was Paul in Ephesus. There was Timothy in Ephesus. There was Tychicus in Ephesus. And later... In his older years, the Apostle John was the pastor of Ephesus. Yet after 40 years, after the first generation of believers, they had lost their first love. How can you keep your first love? Maybe today you're going, I don't want to lose my first love. Embrace the truths of doctrine intentionally. Don't go out of here and forget all the gifts God's given you. Remember chapter 1. Review chapter 1 in your mind. Who you are in Christ. Your redemption. God's plan for you. You are not stuck where you are. Some of you say, I just can't help it. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. What does Scripture say? God, listen to these wonderful words. He hath chosen us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame. You know, this has nothing to do with Calvinism. It has everything to do with the fact that God has chosen you to be holy and without blame. If God chose you to be that way, what can you be today? Holy and without blame. <laughs> that ought to put a smile on our faces. That ought to give us a joy in our Christianity again. I'm not stuck. God predetermined, God chose me to be holy and without blame. So I can be there today. I'm not there. Ooh, I wonder why. It's not his fault. Hmm, who else's fault could it be? My fault. 
I am confident I will reach maturity. You know, as I look out, it makes me so happy. I look out and I see every one of you, and listen to this, verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Remember what adoption is? That's not salvation. That's the placing. That's the maturity of a son to be able to function, to help run the business. He's predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. I'm going to reach maturity. You're going to reach maturity. It's an incredible privilege that as I'm preaching this morning, I look out and I recognize this. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're going to make it. God's predestinated us to that. How do you keep from losing your first love? Remember that you are part of the body of Christ. You can't just slowly slip away and pretend you're not. And if God moves you to a different location, you always connect with the local manifestation of the body of Christ. Because he's got you there on purpose. How do you keep from losing your first love? Remember your future inheritance. You know, he has told us what's coming ahead. Remember your future inheritance. Remember your history in Christ. You were dead, but now you are alive. And remember this. God gave each one of you, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. You don't need me to make your decisions for you. Oh, you can always, in the multitude of counselors, oh, there's wisdom. So you can talk to other believers. I'm a believer. You can talk with me. But I don't have a special anointing of God that lets me make decisions for you. You have the Holy Spirit in you just like I do. We call that doctrine the priesthood of the believer. You make choices. What a great God that he gives us all these things. That's how you keep your first love. You stay focused on your God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With your heads bowed, maybe today you needed the encouragement of what a great God you serve and all he's done for you. Could I encourage you right now while, while we just have our heads bowed, would you just thank the Lord for being such a wonderful God? Say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and dying on the cross for me. I'm grateful for that. Thank you for making it, for enabling me by your grace that I can do the things you tell us in your word. Thank you for letting me have peace with God. Thank you for bridging that gap, bring me back to God. Thank you for the love that you give to me and that I get to show to others.